Hey guys, this is Always Be Watching. My name is Dan Barrett. If you're familiar with this podcast, you would know that each week we get on here and we talk about the TV shows, what we've been watching. This week will be no different, except it's just me. There's no Chris Yates. Chris, look, I'm not sure if you're aware, my dear friends, but the world's falling apart around us and Chris is kind of swept up in that at the moment and he's got to deal with some stuff. However, he sends his regards. But Chris is out there, he's touring the facilities, he's picking up the slack. He'll be back with us next week, probably. Now, when it came time for me to sit down today and record this podcast, I had a fairly big question that I really wanted to answer, and really sort of answer it for myself, which is why am I actually sitting down to record a podcast about TV? TV is such a frivolous uh, idea in the greatest scheme of what everyone's facing right now. Not only is there a disease out there that could seriously like hurt either ourselves or our loved ones, but also just the idea that because we've taken measures to try to protect the populace, the citizenry, uh, from this disease that's out there, it means having to shut a whole bunch of things down. Systems of organizations and business and commerce and lots of people lost their jobs, lots of people have lost uh, bits of uh, the world that they like to engage with and Uh, be out there. We're all self-isolating, like we're living in some very scary times where we don't quite know what tomorrow is going to hold. And, you know, in a few months time, we could all be back to roughly where we were beforehand. I don't think that's the case though. I think things are going to shift in some ways that we're not really quite going to be happy with. But, you know, let's see where the world's going. I'm trying not to get as depressed about this as I was feeling last week. I went to a pretty dark place last week, as I suspect a lot of us did, and a lot of us are probably still there as well. Um, I'm trying not to sound as... Look, here's the thing. Last week, I recorded a podcast that was going to be very similar to this. Chris was uh, trying to work out what he was doing last week and didn't really have time to do this. Uh, He's found he's got some kids that he has to look after now. For his kids, they're not just like random street urchins. Uh, But because, you know, schools have been shut down, he's now a full-time carer for the kids as well as doing all of his other... Chris has like about three or four different jobs that he's doing at any given time. And just doing that on top of looking after like his children, it's a pretty big task. And lots of people are going through very similar things right now. So look, I I don't want to sound like I'm too frivolous because in the greater scheme of things, the only way that I've been affected directly is I'm just working from home at the moment. I'm still going to have a job. Uh, My partner, she's still employed. She's going off to work. She's not working from home. She has like an important job where she's actually contributing to the world in a way that I can from my, you know, uh, dining room table, which is where I'm sitting right now. So she's fine. I'm fine. But we do have friends and family who've been affected directly by this. And so, you know, like neither of us are looking at this with glee at the moment. I think we're just incredibly um, thankful that both of us have gotten through this relatively unscathed. But, you know, who knows what next week's going to hold? Who knows about the week after that? Like it's... You know, it's dark, grim, uncertain times. But I don't want to dwell on that too much. What I maybe wanted to get to was just the idea of why it is that I'm doing this podcast. What is it that's important about doing a podcast about TV, which one could argue is a fairly frivolous kind of a thing to be discussing. And ultimately it comes down to, I think, this. TV is important. It reflects our dreams and our aspirations. Uh, It's often a mirror that we hold up to our world. Uh, for look, sometimes that turns out to be more of a funhouse mirror than like an actual mirror. But TV is often the way that we are, we see ourselves in a way that we have a place within the broader community around us. And so, when it comes time for our brains to start making sense of the world, sometimes we turn to the TV for news and commentary about the world. 
Uh, this is why like 24 hour news channels are so big. This is why, you know, there's all the lifestyle entertainment shows. Like they actually do provide a sense of showing us what our position is in the world and where we can be and where that sort of aspirational idea is. And so when we're after that kind of thing, we do turn to TV. But in the last two weeks, I've definitely turned to TV for the other reason. I've turned to TV to enter the dreamscape. I've turned to TV to drift away and to find a sense of peace. And in a sense, it was largely escapism. I found myself watching a lot of TV shows that I've seen before, uh, things that were very familiar to me, things that didn't really challenge me, things that just allowed me to not necessarily switch my brain off, but things that didn't necessarily ask too much of me. Over the last week, I've watched a season and a half, almost two seasons worth of The Good Wife. I've watched a season of Bosch, which if you don't know, that is a fairly good police uh, procedural drama from Amazon in the US. Uh, Also, I've watched, I think, about a season and a half of The Office. So I started season two, so I'm midway through season three now. That's a lot of TV for one week. And it's a lot of TV of stuff that I've seen before. But that's all I was interested in doing. And, like, realistically, there's not much more we can do than watch a whole lot of TV right now because we're self-isolating. Maybe people should be reading more books. But I think right now we don't necessarily... There's a sense of calm that sitting in front of the TV brings. Um, I read something years ago, so I don't really know quite the authenticity of this. But they were talking about how when you sit in front of the TV, there's something that happens to your brain while you're watching it that it sort of starts registering at a certain point where it gives you the same sense of relief and um, calms your body to the same way that sleep does. So when you are watching TV and you're entering this, what I called earlier, a dreamscape, you kind of actually are doing that. And I think for a lot of people, we just kind of want to drift away at the moment. I don't think everyone's super keen on living the realities of the world. I mean, maybe you are, but from my perspective, I just, you know, I can do that for only so many hours of the day. So essentially, where does a podcast like this sit into the idea of what we need from TV? And that's something I'm still trying to answer. When I recorded a podcast last week, and I've deleted that, there's no way that podcast is ever making it out in the world, because frankly, I sounded pretty depressed. It wasn't a good listen for anyone. But when I recorded that, I was mostly focusing on the um, shows that I had been watching, which is these comfort shows and why it was that I was finding comfort in these programs. But I think that maybe what we really need sort of going forward is to focus largely on the new and just try to find ways that we can kind of expand ourselves while we are trapped in this period of self-isolation. So look, I don't really have the answers. I don't know exactly what it is that this podcast is going to be going forwards. It'll definitely be talking about TV and the TV we've been watching and all that kind of business. But maybe there's a better way we can be framing it. Maybe there's something else that we need to be bringing to the conversation. And if you've got some ideas or things that you just kind of feel that you want from a podcast, drop me an email, dan at tele... That's my old email address, dan at alwaysbewatching.com. Do that and, you know, we'll we'll have the conversation. I want to know what it is that a TV podcast needs to be in these uncertain times of 2020. But while I watched a lot of very com- very much comfort TV last week, this week I found that I'm actually wanting to step out in the sunshine a little bit more and start exploring the world again through TV and from my couch. I'm not leaving the house. First of all, you should never be doing that. And second of all, you should never do that. Why would you want to leave the house? Madness. That way madness lies, my friend. But I've watched two things, which is what I'm going to discuss in this podcast today. And I'm going to keep it pretty tight and short because, frankly, you know, you don't want to hear me just droning into the microphone for this long. 
But I've watched two things. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is a Spanish, and I'm not going to call it a sci-fi because it's definitely, there's no science involved in it. There's definitely fiction. Uh, this is maybe a broad sort of concept film. It's a film that's on Netflix right now called The Platform. Someone's been feasting on it already. It's what they didn't want. Uh-huh. Well, obviously. What, are you stupid or? It's disgusting. That means if there are 47 levels above us and two people per level, we're eating leftovers from 94 others. Don't worry, if the month goes by, there will be less of those above. You're not eating? No appetite. So The Platform's a Spanish film. It was uh, made as an indie film that Netflix picked up after it screened at the Toronto Film Festival early this year. Maybe they'd bought it before then. I'm not too sure, but it definitely played Toronto. This is a very broad, high-concept movie the entire premise of it is that it's a large uh, prison. Uh, I guess it's a prison. It's hard to really describe exactly what's going on. And I'll talk about why in just a short while. But basically, it's like a large tower with about 300 plus levels within this tower. Every level on the tower is kind of like a, we'll say like four meter by four meter room. So it's definitely these sort of cube shapes. But in the middle of this room is a empty sort of rectangle. So it's like maybe about like two meters by a meter. And within this platform, there's, well, within the sort of empty box in the room, there's a platform that goes between the levels. It comes down once a day and it is filled with a large amount of food on it. So on level one, this is where the platform starts. And so people on level one get their choice of whatever food they want to consume from it, food and wine and whatever. Like it's all very classy, exciting, elegant food. And so if you're on level one, things are amazing. But then that same platform goes down to level two and people eat what the people on level one didn't want to eat. And then the people on three eat what the people on level two didn't want to eat and so on and so on and so on. Until it starts getting down to, you know, 300 odd, 400, I don't think there's like 400 levels, but I think I saw like level 333 at some point. So there's definitely a lot of levels going on here. And by the time you start getting into the hundreds, there is very little food left. And as you get further down into the 300s, there's very few people left because you can only survive for so long without food. Now, obviously, there's a big psychological toll being taken on people as well. There's a number of uh, suicides that you see throughout the film. Like, it is very much a um, dark social commentary about the ills of capitalism and the way that we embrace this as a culture. So, the criticism of the film is very much that the people in the higher levels will have all the food that they want with very little regard given to the people who are on the lower levels. And even though the structure is built with the idea that once a month you change levels, so while you might be on level 17 one month, the next month you're down on like level 310. So you jump around the place a fair bit. But the commentary is is that whenever you're on the higher levels, you embrace that month for what you can and you don't really give any thought to the people that are below because now's your opportunity, now's your chance to, you know, take what you want and what you need. The metaphor is incredibly obvious and sort of smacks you over the head almost immediately as soon as they start revealing what's going on in a movie. It doesn't really take sort of much um, effort to get across the metaphor in it because it is blatantly there. I really like the film. I think it's very much a movie for the moment. Uh, I think that it takes the idea of uh, indie films that were seen in the past like Cube and actually brings a level of um, social commentary to it, which, you know... 
worked gangbusters for me considering what's been going on over the last year, if not what's been going on over the last two weeks, because, you know, this definitely taps into the ideas of the moment. But maybe the criticism I would have with the movie is that every movie has a sense of internal logic, and even if that logic doesn't necessarily hold up to real-world standards, you can still look at a movie saying, well, it makes sense in this kind of a framework. Within this, there's a lot of ideas and social engagement that takes place, so every every person on this level is teamed up with a second person on that same level. So every month you wake up and you find, like, a different person there, and so with that you're learning who this other person is, how they've come to be in the prison, what their attitudes are to the prison, and what their sort of exit strategy is at some point. And when you find out about these people, like, it starts to maybe put, like, plot holes a little bit into what the film's uh, trying to do. So while it's incredibly clear with what the metaphor of the film is, it's a little less clear as to how the world works and how this tower prison facility functions, considering some people can volunteer to be in there, other people are put in there as prisoners, and why does a facility take both like that? And I never really give these answers, and the further that you get into the various levels and the further you find out about the structure and framework of how this society is operating, the more questions it raises. And it's not question raising in the good way, it's question raising in the I just want to keep scratching my head because I don't quite understand exactly what's going on here way. And maybe there's an internal logic that they came up with in terms of writing the film, and the film's written by uh, two people, David DeSola and Pedro Rivero. I'm sure the two of them have a strong sense of logic as to what's going on, but it doesn't quite make its way through to the finished product, which was a bit disappointing. And I don't need all the answers, I just needed a little bit of something I could grasp onto, and I just didn't find it there. And then at the very end, they kind of switched the metaphor as to exactly what they want to achieve with it, and it just didn't quite sit right with me. However, I really enjoy this movie. I think that it is a heck of a watch. It is incredibly timely right now. Well worth your time. This is streaming on Netflix. Give it a look. It's called The Platform, and lots of people have already checked this out. It's doing remarkably well on Netflix. This is the top 10 10 things that people are watching right, right now, rankings. People are obviously watching this. You've possibly seen it already. If you watch it, drop me an email. I want to know what you think of it. Dan, it's, Dan I always be watching. And, you know, let, let's have a chat about this film because it's interesting and definitely of a March 2020 mood. The other thing I want to talk about today is the new Mark Maron special, End Times Fun. I don't know what's happening, people. I don't know. But it's pretty clear the world is ending. I don't want to shock anybody. Seems to be happening, though. I thought we'd get out. You know, I thought we'd make it under the wire. I thought I would, you know. I'm 56, but I don't know. I think we might see it. I think we might see it. Certainly, it's been ending environmentally for a long time, and we've all kind of known it. We knew it. But I think on a deeper level, the reason we're not more upset about the world ending environmentally is I think, you know, all of us in our hearts really know that we did everything we could. You know, we really... Right? I mean, we really did. I mean, think about it. We, you know, we, we, we brought our own bags <laughs> to the supermarket. Yeah, that's about it. Like, we brought, we brought the bags right when they told us. We brought them, and it just wasn't enough, it turns out. Just not enough to, you know, get us over the top with this. But I don't know, maybe this straw thing, the no straw thing. Man, talk about a comedy special for the right time. 
Mark Maron's End Times Fun is an interesting production in that we've all seen a lot of comedy specials and I guess maybe the stand-up special at the moment, there's an effort to try to take what is a very standard format, like we've all seen, person stands on stage, cracks wise. But I think there's been a lot more efforts made in the last couple of years to be a lot more artistic in the way that this is presented and try to get to the heart of what the material is a little bit more through the visual stylings of the production. So some of the things I've enjoyed the most recently is, uh, look, the Dave Chappelle specials on Netflix, I think, were incredibly uh, well produced. But with those, they still very much felt like just an interesting way to present stand-up. If you think about the, again, because Netflix is just producing so much of these, uh, so many of these, uh, Aziz Ansari, I thought was one of the more interesting ones where he had a bit of a floating camera and it was on stage with him and it was like this really just intimate, very sort of um, uneasy, edgy production. It was like definitely one of the most visually striking stand-up specials I've seen. But the one I think I've enjoyed the most is this Mark Maron special. So Mark Maron... I've seen him stand up, uh, doing stand-up once before, and it was great. It was at the Sydney uh, Theatre. He was on stage talking to an audience, which hadn't, like the crowd hadn't sold particularly that well. Uh, he travelled all the way to Australia to find the audience wasn't really quite there for him. And I'd say that there was maybe like about a, you know, a quarter of the seats were filled. It was definitely an intimate show because everyone got moved right up the front-ish. But what was kind of interesting about seeing this special is that it was not Mark Maron just doing a bit of crowd work and sort of playing with everyone, but this was a very tight, very heavily produced stand-up special, but also produced with the intention of creating a very strong sense of intimacy with this material. So everything in the special is very much about the way that we are viewing sort of the world through a very sort of existential lens and the way that our belief systems are all contributing to the idea that we feel as though the end is near. Whether that's true or not, who knows? And after this last week, who can really say? However, this special is very much playing with just like the idea of what do we believe? Why do we believe them? And how are we presenting these ideas to the world and challenging our own beliefs and those of other people within that framework? And in order to do this, uh, him and Lynn Shelton, who's the director of the special, uh, Lynn Shelton's an indie director who you may have seen doing films like uh, Hump Day, I'm pretty sure. Sorry, I don't have the IMDb in front of me, but I know I've seen a number of Lynn Shelton films in the past. Anyway, the way uh, the the two of them have sort of come up with this is that they thought, well, instead of doing Guy up on stage with microphone, how about we do it as a black box theatre? So it's very much almost theater and around, but there's no one behind him. It's still a, you know, a wall behind him. But he's got an audience to his left and right and at the front. And at no point do you ever see the audience. And to me, this is really important because it's kind of Mark Maron holding court. But at the same time, the audience are not really a concern for the material because it's very much sort of Mark Maron laying it down the way that he sees the world. It's very much the world completely through his lens, which is usually what stand-up is about. But to take to like cut away and see audience reaction shots, I think would sort of make the seem as though, hey, this is Mark Maron who's come out here to do an entertainment, as opposed to what this really is, which is, hey, this is Mark Maron who's been doing some pretty deep thinking about quite a number of issues. Let's hear what he has to say on the matter. And first of all, it's incredibly funny. Like this is probably the best Maron material I've heard in some time. And in part, it might be because he's just speaking very much to the moments and to the concerns and interests I have right now. 
that definitely plays heavily into my enjoyment on this uh, hour, hour 10 special. Yeah, I think it's about 71 minutes from memory. Anyway, if you like Mark Maron, and just keep in mind, there's two types of people in the world. Because Mark Maron, best known for his WCF podcast, and I'm assuming that if you've listened to this podcast, you've probably also listened to the WCF because everybody's heard that who's ever listened to podcasts. But there's two types of people who like in the world. You got the people that listen to Mark Maron before his guests come out, and those that skip the 12 to 15 minutes until he actually starts talking to the guest. But if you listen, actually, you know what? I say that there's two types of people, and those are the two types, but there's really two types of people. There's Mocha Joe people, and there's Latte Larry people. And I often wonder what the overlap is between the Latte Larry people and the people that do listen to the beginning of the WTF podcast. I reckon there's some strong overlaps, but I digress. With the WCF podcast, if you listen to like the first 10 minutes of him talking about what he's been up to and what he's a bit worried about in the world, and he listens to this on a regular basis, you kind of know what you're getting in for with this special, because he does sort of allude to his concerns about these issues on a regular basis. But what I thought was particularly great about the stand-up special, and you would expect this because it's prepared material, is it's really him sort of focused on what it is that he's concerned about with these issues, and he's got the language down, he knows how to elicit the humorous like audience response but he knows how to connect with the audience like through language you can achieve quite a few things and the strength of any stand-up is really on how they actually frame the conversation around whatever their subject matter is how they land the joke how they set up the joke and also the various sort of um, beats you want to hear in order to get to that end point that you're really after Mark Maron, I'd say he's probably a master at what he does at the moment. Like, I don't think there's that many stand-ups who are probably better than him. Whether you actually like Mark Maron's shtick or not, like, that's an entirely different thing. But he's incredibly good. This is probably his best special. And yeah, like, I think definitely give this a listen. It's good. If you're into stand-up, check out Mark Maron. It's very much about end of times. And look, this is streaming right now on Netflix. Give it a look. It's... Much like the platform, it just kind of feels like it's a completely new wheelhouse for this week. Anyway, this has been Always Been Watching, Always Be Watching. I'll work out the name of this podcast at some stage. My name's Dan Barrett. Thank you very much for listening. Chris Yates will be back, and that way it's an actual conversation, and it's not me just garbling words into a microphone, which is unpleasant for both yourself, myself, and my dog who's comfortably watching on from the other side of the room. This has been Always Be Watching. Thank you very much for listening. You can find more Always Be Watching, including the daily newsletter at alwaysbewatching.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at ABWWatching or ABWatching. You can find me specifically on Twitter at the Dan Barrett. Send me an email if you like, Dan at Always Be Watching. Uh, Chris Yates, he'll be back with us next week. As I hope, will you? We'll talk to you then.